Okay, the passages, like I said, we're going to look at from Genesis 1 through 5. And what we want to do is to focus on some of these words and ask us what it reveals about the equality that exists between male and female. In a very real way, that does exist, doesn't it? The equality that exists, but also the male leadership that exists. In some of the reading I've been doing, I've been exposed to a little bit more than I have in the past uh, evangelical feminists who believe the Bible is inspired, they say, but they say the Bible doesn't present a view of male leadership. Now, I don't believe that necessarily uh, anyone is buying that hook, line, and sinker here. But I will say that as culture keeps pressing us more and more on this issue, we're going to have to know certain things to stand and to explain. The passages under discussion tonight particularly will be Genesis 1, 26 through 28, Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25, and some of Genesis 3, particularly Genesis 3, verses 16 through 19, and in connection with Genesis chapter 1, we'll probably also mention Genesis 5 and verse 2. Genesis 5 and verse 2. But let's look in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 verses 26 through 28. Now I believe we read this last time. But we want to read this. We want to read it carefully. Uh, one of the things I will ask you after we look at a few things here. Would most of the emphasis be here on the equality between male and female? Or on male leadership? And what are the hints of that? And what does male leadership look like is also a point. Is it a domineering thing? Or is it something else? So we're going to try to explore all these things, if not finishing them tonight, talking about them more in the near future. But here in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, boy, would you want to read that loudly where everyone can hear? Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Okay, okay. Now, the Bible emphasizes in Genesis 1, 26, it says, God made man, it says, let us make man in our image. In our image. Then in verse 27, that phrase, 
uh, in his own image or, or some phrase like that is uh, used again. Let's see. Is it used once in, in 26 or twice in 26? Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. Once in 26, twice in 27. Okay, twice in 27. God created man in his own image. Okay. There you go, Sarah. In the image of God, He created man. Male and female, He created them. So it's said once in 26. It is said twice in 27 in uh, His image. And then there is only one time uh, in the Bible outside of that that is specifically said that man is created in the image of God. Do you know where that would be? It is also in the book of Genesis. I guess 5.2, oh, putting that up there. No, but 5.2 talks about Adam had a son in his image, or 5.2 and 3 uses a similar idea. But, but there, we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, uh, David. But, but it's 9.6, I think, is the only time that uses this exact uh, phrase. I think, Sarah, you referred to uh, 9, verse 4 and 5 today in Bible class about uh, no one shall eat flesh with the blood that is in it, or you made a reference to that. But it's in verse 6, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God... He made him. The reason there is such a severe penalty, a profound penalty for taking human life is because man is created in God's image. And whatever that means, and I will acknowledge to you, I'm not sure all that it means, but whatever it means, it raises the stakes of the seriousness of taking a human life. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God he made him. Now often when the Bible uses this word image, it is referring to an idol that was to be destroyed when the Israelites came into the land of Canaan. But here it talks about man being created in God's image. Many times it's an idol that is to be destroyed. Here it is a legitimate and it is a lofty description of us, of, of humankind. Now, would you say that description, that man is created in the image of God, is that a, an exclusively male thing? Or is that something that applies to both genders? Both. Both. Uh, both. What, what would you all say in proof of that? I don't know. Gary and, and if Sarah were, uh, were tied basically and in this gender class, we're going to let the tie go to the woman. Uh, but, but Sarah, uh, what, would you, what would you say there? Verse 27, God created men in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay. It's all there together. It's not like, oh, there's this creation thing over here, and then later on, woman is tapped on. It's yeah. not that way. Yes, exactly. Uh, Gary, were you going to add anything to that? Uh, well, I can't think of the verse again. 
Okay. Where there's neither male or female. Galatians 3. Galatians 3. Uh, 28. And uh, that may be left for another day to uh, tackle that passage, okay? So, uh, but, but you know, the creation of man in his own image in verse 27 is specifically applied to male and female. Notice it says male and female, he created them. That refers both to the man and to the woman. And then in verse 28, God blessed them. By the way, our society puts a lot of emphasis on pronouns. So when we're reading the text, maybe we should pay careful attention to the pronouns God uses. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing. Does the command, does the statement rule over all of creation? Does that apply just to men? Or does that apply to men and women? Yeah, it applies both to men and women here. It applies both to men and women. Now, let me read you something that I felt was striking. Um, first, well, uh, um, first of all, uh, Victor Hamilton says in his commentary on Genesis, it was well known that in both Egyptian and Mesopotamian society, the king or some high-ranking official might be called the image of God. Such a designation, however, was not applied to the canal digger or to the mason who worked on a ziggurat. Genesis 1 may be using royal language to describe man in God's eyes. All of mankind is royalty. All humanity is related to God, not just the king. Specifically, the Bible democratizes the royalistic. The idea is that man is created in God's image in other societies, among other peoples, that applies just to the rulers, just to the elites, just to the kings. But in God's language here, it applies to all of us. It applies to the common person. It applies to men. It applies to women. It applies to all of us that we're given rule over all that God has made. Now, the verb rule, which is used here in verse 28, this verb is used some 27 times in the Old Testament. And often it refers, not always, but often it refers to subjecting a people to forced labor or slavery. Some examples I have, Leviticus 25, verse 43, verse 46. I have other examples. Uh, if you want to see the notes, which I'm sure uh, Alan always asks for later. But, Alan, you're not a finished project yet, okay? So, 
So wait a little while. But Leviticus 25, verse 43, Leviticus 25, verse 46. And it is also used of the reign of a king. This word rule, it's used of the reign of a king in 1 Kings 4 and verse 24. Where the Bible is talking about the reign of Solomon. God created us, people, man and woman, as virtual kings in creation. And we rule over all the animals that you see, whether it be the powerful land beast, whether it be the enormous beast of the sea. You know, people are fascinated by dinosaurs because of their size. And how did they, because of that size, go extinct? Well, the blue whale, which still exists, is larger than the largest projection for what a dinosaur ever was. But man rules over all of them. And what does that tell you about mankind's significance? How important that we are to God. Now, I'm sure there are details there that I've missed, that I didn't emphasize. But, but what are some questions that you might have on those specific verses. Anything? Yes, Mr. Matt. It is correct, but men are made in so many different ways. Those different um, beliefs, different religions, how does that apply? I think right here at creation, that God is staying with the first man and with the first woman that He is stating here that regardless of what people believe, regardless of how they apply, this was His goal for all of humanity. Okay? We'll see more about that in a second, uh, hopefully. But I think it is a general observation about all humanity. This is before, um, before mankind has divided and gone different places and had different religions and different uh, things of that nature. But I think it is instruction for all of humanity. Now, what else do you all, uh, Sarah? Just thinking about pronouns in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over. So it's not let us make man and let him, it's let them. Yes. Uh, so just yes. another. Very good. That it's, that it's more good. than just one person. That it, that it man is used in the sense of mankind. Yes. Mankind and man and the woman. Very good, Sarah. That is that is a good point, and I had I think I had missed that them uh, in the text. Look at Genesis five two, and we'll start reading with verse one, and then read to verse three. And um, um, but the Bible says this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, He made him in the likeness of man, a likeness of God. Excuse me. 
He created them male and female, and He named them man in that day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his own image, and he named him Seth. Okay? Now, that is referring back to Genesis 1, referring back to Genesis 2. I think that you would all see and we've already acknowledged it, even Sarah's last comment about the pronouns in verse 26. All of them show that the burden, the, the, the heart of these passages is more on the equality that exists between male and female. But I would suggest this. And I recognize that it is not said directly or overtly. But I think what you have in Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2, is a point about male leadership. Male leadership. Now you might say, how? In that day, God created man. He made them in the likeness of God. God created them male and female. He blessed them and named them man. Adam is the same Hebrew word, yes. But the point is, the name for the name for the group, the name for this is man. Now, some of you, this may be closer to your experience than others. If you were to write a college paper these days, and you refer to human beings as man, you may get an F right off. Nowadays, this would strike us as sexist. He doesn't say he named them female. It doesn't say he named them person. It says he named them man. So while the emphasis in Genesis 1, 26-28 is on the equality between men and women in Genesis 2, 5 verse 2, I would say there is a hint here of the fact that the male is the leader or is designed by God to be the leader in this relationship. Sherry, I, 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 the old King James uses the word mankind. It uses the term mankind, yes, okay. It is, uh, as some, David, did you say, or Allie, did you say it was the term Adam for man? And sometimes it is difficult in the first chapters of Genesis to know whether that should be translated man generally or Adam specifically. But I think that is the same. It's the same Hebrew word there, isn't it? Uh, Alan five. David says he's looking at it. And uh, so um, now let's look in Genesis 2. And if you have another question, feel free to, to ask that. Anything there? 
Gary? I'm just thinking off the top of my head that whenever men and women are mentioned, man is always mentioned first. Man and woman. I think that's true. I did not look back to see that. I think that, that would be the case. I think it is true in each of those cases. But man was created first. Yes, yes, as it's, 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 uh, 1 Timothy 2 says. Now, let's look at yes. Well, you, in verse 1 of chapter 5, this says, In the day God, when God created man, he created him. You keep saying them. Does your version say them? I, I don't believe, uh, let's see, back in Genesis 5 1, in the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. No, there it says he. Uh, we, we were saying hell a lot of places, but not every place. We're not, we're, we're not denying hell is there at certain passages. Uh, we are just emphasizing the places where it does say them. Them is in verse 2. Them is in verse 2. Okay. Them is in verse 2. Yes, Miss Rachel. I know that uh, you, you know a lot of different uh, languages, and the Bible was not written in English in the beginning. No. So, from your knowledge of the original language, which was written, what gender was used? Do you would comment on that? Uh, the, the word, the word is used. The word that is used, Miss Rachel, is the word. Um, this is the word, and uh, this is this is the Hebrew word that is both translated Adam. It is translated man, and as uh, Ms. Sharon said a moment ago, there's sometimes it is translated mankind. Now, most of the time you get out of the book of Genesis and these early stories, most of the time when you get out, it is going to be translated man or mankind and not Adam. I don't know if there's another Adam in the biblical story. I can't think of it all pain. But it's going to be translated man or mankind and not Adam elsewhere. So, um, does that help you? In the original language that was Hebrew or other people. Yes. So, they would have specified or emphasized on the this is not the only word in Hebrew that can be translated man. There are other terms that can be translated man. I would say that it is dependent upon the context. In some contexts, it may refer specifically to a man. Uh, in some contexts, it refers to humankind, mankind. But it is interesting that it is Adam who gives, who God names the race after, and not Eve. That would be the point that I'm trying to stress. But, yes, Gary. Can we also go to uh, 1 Corinthians 11 to establish the preeminence of the man role, male role? Yes, yes. And in, in, in after we look at Genesis 2, let's, let's make a reference to that, okay? Particularly around verses 7 through 9. And uh, so Genesis 2, verses 18 through 25. 18 through 25. Um, Bob, would you want to read that for us? 
to look around and see if there's another problem. <laughs> <laughs> but 18 through 25? Yes, yes. Uh, and Job God said, it is not good that the man, this is the American standard version. Job God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. And uh, out of the ground, Jehovah God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And the man gave names to all cattle, and to the birds of the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for man there was not found a help meet for him. And Jehovah God called, caused a deep sleep to fall on the man, and he slept and took down the ribs and closed up the flesh and stood thereof. And the rib which Jehovah God had taken from the man, made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay, very good. Thank you. Okay, we read it. First of all, let me express this. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are not contradictory creation accounts. They are complementary. Genesis 2 does indeed give us some details that were not stated in the panoramic view of creation in Genesis 1, 1 to 2, 3. And one thing that we see evident right here is that man and woman were not created simultaneously, were they? They were not created simultaneously. And the Bible says it is not good for man to be alone. After it says that, it says he will make him a helper. And then it talks about, in verses 19 and 20, all the animals being paraded before man. And whatever uh, is the nature of that animal, uh, he gives it an appropriate name. But all of this emphasized man's aloneness. That man, in all of creation, there is not someone like him. We can speak of a dog as man's best friend, but a relationship with a dog, and no offense, Bob, but, but, but a relationship with a dog can only happen on the dog's level. You know, uh, it can't rise to the heights that can happen between two human beings in those relationships. And so bringing all those animals before him kind of highlights his loneliness and his need for a companion. This is the first thing in Eden that is not said to be right or good in Genesis 2 and verse 18. And so after Adam, uh, after Adam finishes the task of, need, of, of creating the animals, God calls a deep sleep to fall upon man. In a sense, this is the first anesthesia and this is the first operation as God takes a rib from man's side and fashions, fashions the woman that he has taken from the man and brought her, brought her to the man. Now let's 
look at a couple of passages in the New Testament that makes reference to this. We'll look first at 1 Corinthians 11 because Gary referenced that just a moment ago. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 is in the midst of the subject of the, uh, the head covering. And it may be that in 1 Corinthians 11 we have time sometime later to touch upon that a little bit. Uh, or at least I, I know I have notes I can offer you. But, but I want to particularly highlight 1 Corinthians 11 verses 7 through 9. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. Man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. And that's referring to the Genesis creation account. Woman originated from man. And in verse 9, For indeed man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. So the Bible tells us that man is the image and glory of God. Does not deny that a woman is the image and glory of God. We stated that from Genesis 1. But it does state that the woman is the glory of man. Now some may look upon that as demeaning. But there was no greater gift that God gave mankind after himself and his son. There was no greater gift that God gave to mankind than woman. It is a glorious, glorious gift. Woman is the glory of man. And man doesn't come from the woman, but woman from the man. That is a statement about God creating man first and taking the woman from man's side. So 1 Corinthians 11 verses 7 through 9 refers to God's creation of man along the terms of Genesis 2. One more passage to look at quickly is in 1 Timothy 2. And this is a passage that Lord willing we will get to later. Uh, but I just want to see how this is tied to creation. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, it says, A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. Might as well read 14 now. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into the transgression. Paul here gives two reasons why a woman is not to teach or exercise authority over a man. Man was created first. And woman sinned first. Now, I know there are other passages that emphasize man's role in that first sin. But this emphasizes that because of these things, woman is not to teach or usurp authority over a man.
now. I want to tell y'all something. I don't think that I've read any passage or said anything that has been used to anybody here. But I want to tell you something. I bristle a little bit saying, why? Why? Because our culture has so bombarded us with the fact that this is sexist. We shouldn't think this way. There's no difference would be the ultimate storyline between men and women. Thank God there's a difference between men and women. And not all of them, the man comes out the better. It is stated that women have a greater toleration for pain. And Christy had three boys at home with no anesthesia. I couldn't have done it. In, in a lot of ways, I couldn't have done it. <laughs> but I was there to help. Well, you were there to help the first, first two anyway. Uh, not this one. But the point, my point is that they're different and we're different for a purpose. But Gary, you were saying something. I was going to say, I think a lot of the problems that have come from the male-female issues is that men for many years has abused his position. Yes. And, and abused the women. Yes. When, what? When, when you go into the military, you learn that people have rank above you. They're given that rank. It's not to say that they're better than you. So oftentimes, you'll have somebody that has a higher rank than you, and they don't know anything. Yes. But you still have to listen to what they say because they've been given that rank. I think God backs it up on the word. He, he made man first and he made him the leader of the family. He gave him that rank. Yes. And it's not to say that women are any less than him. When, when Deb and I got married, she understood that I had the final word. It's not to say that we don't listen to the advice of our, our wives. No. God told... Uh, Abraham. Abraham to listen to his wife, yes. but, but he has the final say, and she was yeah. happy with that because if things went awry, I got to blame. <laughs> yeah. but, I think you say some very profound things, Gary. Uh, one, this was a problem of some of the things that I was reading that evangelical feminists said, those who would promote women preachers. One of the problems is that they, along with what we would call in the past, and I don't know if this is a current term, male chauvinist, this is a problem. They both interpreted male leadership the same way. They both, both the evangelical feminists who believe the Bible and those who do not base their feelings on the Bible, they both felt that the only way to lead is just domination. Pushing people around. That that's the only way for lead, to lead. But Ephesians gives a different picture of the leadership in the home. We are called as husbands to imitate the example of Christ. And Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
When you get married, as it was eloquently pointed out the other day in a wedding that we attended, if you get married, a husband is stating that he's going to give of himself and sacrifice of himself and if ever called to, to die for his wife. Now, let me tell you something I heard growing up by preachers who were well-meaning, but I ask you if this is true. They said, if you have a husband who loves his wife this way, there's no woman in the world who would be, who would resent submitting to him. Was that true? <laughs> I don't think this, I don't think most would. But no, some would have trouble with that. And it ties with something else you said, Gary. Does submission indicate inferiority? Does it? Now, you're going to get in a real problem with that as a Christian if you say yes. Why, theologically, are we going to get into problems with that? Jesus submitted to the Father. Exactly. Submission is an equation with inferiority. That means that God the Son is inferior to God the Father, which gives you some serious <coughs> issues. Absolutely. All of theology, because absolutely. Yeah. I don't. I want because this is this is. Some, I want to. I want to say this right. I want to say this carefully. I don't want to say this funny. Because when you're dealing with the nature of God, there's no room really for joking. We're going to stand in awe of God. But kind of in line with what Sarah said, Jesus is not God Jr. Jesus is as fully God as the Father's God. By necessity, Though we don't ask, say as much. Is that also true of the Spirit? Yes. But there is a submission of the Spirit to both the Father and the Son. If you read John 14 through 16 closely, the Father is said to send the Spirit. Then also at other times, the Son is said to send the Spirit. The Spirit is submissive to both the Father and the Son. And superiority, uh, excuse me, um, authority or uh, submission, those things are not in and of themselves statements. Submission is not a statement of inferiority. That was what I was trying to say. Now, let's tie this with something else, an important word that's used here. In verse 18 and in verse 20, chapter 2, verse 18 and 2, verse 20, the woman is said to be a helper suitable for man. That particular word, helper, is used as a noun. Uh, it is used as a noun about 21 times, 21 times in the Old Testament. I'll find my place. 21 times as a noun. This is used as a noun here. The woman is a helper suitable to man. 
suppose is most often referred to in the Bible. In these 21 occurrences of the use of that term, who is most often referred to as helper? God, exactly. I think I counted about 15 of those times, 15 of those 21 times, this word is in reference to God. That, that God is our helper. And some seize upon this and they say this doesn't indicate woman's submission to man at all doesn't indicate that in any way or fashion. After all, God is our helper. God is our helper. And the superior doesn't serve the inferior. Is it ever true that the superior serves the inferior? What's that whole foot washing thing? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just, just one and also the foot washing itself that Sarah mentions foreshadows the cross as well. What that does show is that woman's role as a helper is not that's insignificant. That's not worthy of attention. The Bible gives women such a lowly place. This word is so important and so elevated that most frequently in Scripture, the one who fulfills this role is God. That shows us the dignity of that. Yes, ma'am. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard Most of you probably recognize the verse Anne read. I don't remember she said the Philippians 2, 6 and 7. And verse 8 will even go on. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So it, it affirms all these things, term helper, the idea of Philippians 2, all of these, and I appreciate you using that passage because that's probably the climactic point. All of these things show us the dignified role God has for women. Yes, Gary. I heard in a sermon one time a preacher quoted um, Rocky Balboa in his movie Rocky when his friend realized that he was getting close to his sister. He pulled him aside. He said, what are your intentions with my sister? And Rocky held up his one hand and he said, well, I have, I have holes in my life. And she has holes in her life. And together we... We fill those holes. I've forgotten that line. That is a there is profound theology in Rocky. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know that, that is a very that is a very good line. And we we complement each other and help each other and fill in the voids. Yes. For each other to be one. That that is a very good quote, Gary. That's a very good quote. 
And um, man is so excited. The first words man says, I mean, he's just thrilled at this gift God has given him in verse 23. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's called woman because she was taken out of man. And they are going to be helpers together as they walk through the difficulties and struggles of life. As they go through the problems and difficulties. This is one thing I want to say, and I realize again that I have outkicked the coverage uh, of the auditorium. But why is what I'm saying about Genesis 1 and 2 and about male leadership important from this standpoint? It's there even before the first sin. Okay, that's what I'm trying to say. It's there before the first sin. Because sometimes the argument is made. Oh, there is no male leadership and woman's submission in Genesis 1 and 2. It's only after the fall that that comes. And because it's only after the fall when salvation comes through Christ, that eliminates those distinctions. And that's where some would use Galatians 3, 26-28. Lord willing, we'll talk about this more next week. You all have been a very good audience um, and thank you for your questions and your suggestions and your verses. God bless.